This episode contains graphic information and violence against women and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Brenna. We're just three gals that like to sit around and drink coffee and talk about true crime. And it's important for me to say this at the beginning of this episode and just at any episode. Uh, we are not psychologists. No. We are no. not degree holding. No. Uh, I mean, not in anything. Not, not, so not in <laughs> anything that pertains to this. When I mean, like, <laughs> degree holding degree doctors, like we're not like, you know, no. people that are like, ah, I have my sociology. Like we don't have any of those kind of things. No. So anytime that you hear anything that we have to say, uh, it's most of the time an educated opinion. I yeah. just want to put that out there because I think it's really important just to state that at any point. Yeah. <laughs> the only credentials we have is that we are three girls who talk like about, about True crime, True crime while drinking coffee. coffee. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's it. it. That's, yeah, that's it. it. And we so hope that, that, yeah, you're just our our friends that also want to drink coffee and talk about true crime. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And we love hearing from you guys. We and if there are things you. you want to add on, if you hear us mention something and maybe mm-hmm. we didn't quite write or there's more to it that we didn't know, we yeah. love hearing we about admit it. We admit we don't know everything. We want to learn. Yeah. We're Te- human. Teach us. Teach us a thing or two. Ooh, teach Teaching. Us. Yeah. Teach and, us. And yeah, so I just, I wanted to put that out there just because I feel like it's important to be like, we're just three gals, like, sit around. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> yeah. true crime. That's all it. Coffee. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all we are. Yeah. yeah. And we just do our research to the best of our ability. So if there is any other sources or anything like that, feel free to reach out and be like, hey, by the way, this. And we'll be like, oh my God, thank you. Yeah. Or yeah. like updates that we might miss too. That's yes. also mm-hmm. really cool to hear Please about. Send them mm-hmm. our way. For sure. Be a good bean. Be a good bean. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brenna. That was great. Just Thank thought you for throwing that out there. Fun thing to put in. It is a fun thing to put in. Yeah. And mention. I love it. Speaking of mentioning things, <laughs> today <laughs> is another one that my dad recommended. Hey, thanks, Aww. Dad. Yay, Dad. So, ladies and beans, have you ever heard of the Toolbox Killers? <laughs> God, oh, unfortunately. Oh, good. Uh, hell yeah. <laughs> wait, Tell but me. I might, wait, wait, because I might be mixing up it with the toy box. Ooh, maybe. Because there's, there's no also toys a involved. toy box. There are no. Horrific as well and is not Ooh. as fun as it sounds. Oh. Have that, because I want to hear about that one. I don't know, but I'm in fetal position. Let's go. Literally, she is in the chair. <laughs> Toolbox killers, like, Toolbox like killers. Tim Allen and Al Borland. <laughs> No. Tim, no, Tim. God, That's his last tool name time wasn't... killer. Oh, tool time. Yeah. yeah. Tool time killer. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you hear them coming. <laughs> <laughs> Lock your tool shed. Okay. Hide your kids. Hide your tool shed. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Benford Tools is about to present <laughs> Tim the Toolbox Killer. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why he hides behind the fence, that neighbor. Anyways, so, 
There's a really awful and fascinating um, Oxygen original documentary on Hulu and Peacock, which I watched. Um, I also decided to do this now because it still kind of ties into Halloween. I know we're into November now, but I still miss Halloween. I just can't let it go. The spooky season needs to last a little bit longer. It's not a season, it's a lifestyle. That's true. I live it all the time. <laughs> Anyways, before I get too far ahead of myself, let's take a journey back and talk about the toolbox killers. So Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris were quite the pair. Later, they were even referred to as soulmates, an old married couple, but not in the way we usually associate those things. They met in prison, and these two monsters tortured, raped, kidnapped, and horrifically murdered five young women only over a five-month period of time in California in 1979. So let's talk about Lawrence, or Larry, as some call him. Lawrence was born and quickly adopted. He was born on September 27, 1940. His mother was a teenager and his father was an abusive drinker. He had a little brother as well and they were often left home alone. The parents were basically convinced to give up their kids for adoption and some distance relatives adopted the boys separately, so they got split up. His new adoptive parents were an aunt and uncle and they moved around a lot. His adopted father, George, was working in the aircraft factories. They did end up in California. As a kid, he would put an alarm under his pillow to wake him up around midnight, and he would sneak out and wander around. He started peeping through windows, and then even started entering homes to just move things around so people wouldn't feel safe. It's like, okay. It's like some Amelie bullshit. <laughs> my shoes are smaller now. Are my feet getting bigger? Slowly making people just go insane in the neighborhood. I swear this light was a different color. Yeah, what is happening? Uh, his first girlfriend was Marianne, and she looked a lot like the victims he ends up getting later on in life. Uh, she had blonde hair and big, beautiful eyes. She wore a cross around her neck, and he often would make his victims wear a cross as well um, later on. Uh, when he said he loved her, she did not say it back. Uh, he even recorded one of their makeout sessions and would hike with her in the place he later took his victims. These are all the beginning signs of a much, much darker path and sinister one at that. With an IQ of 138, he could have gone on to do great things, but instead it had the opposite effect. He dropped out of high school in 1957 and began his very lengthy history of run-ins with the police and arrests. One might even call it quite a list, Amanda. Hey! <laughs> so, he was imprisoned in the California Youth Authority until he was 19 after car theft, hitting a car and leaving the scene, and evading arrest. He was released in 1959, only to be arrested again for car theft. This time, it was on the interstate, and he was apprehended in Louisiana. He was supposed to spend 18 months in an Oklahoma federal reformatory, but due to his strange behavior, he was transferred to a Missouri medical center and was released from his sentencing after six months. Back in Los Angeles, he still couldn't stay out of trouble, always thinking he was smarter than everyone else. He was arrested in December 1960, and then the sentencing took place in May 1961. He was sentenced to 1 to 15 years. This time, he had a psychiatric evaluation done, and it came back saying that Larry was paranoid and borderline psychotic. It was said also that he had very little control over his impulses. However, he was still released after two years in 1963. Then, only two months later, he was yet again picked up for a parole violation and suspected robbery. After that was dealt with, he was out and about, and he was picked up again in October 1964 for some of the same things. Repeated actions. Repeated actions. No one seems to pick up all these things. This time while he was in prison, again, he was given another psychiatric evaluation, and it came back as borderline psychotic again. But then he was released. 
1967, he was arrested and convicted for a similar crime of his youth, theft and a hit and run. He was given five years, but as all these stories go, he was released in April 1970, just three years later. He went under the radar for almost a year until 1971. He was stealing some things, got caught, you know, the same old thing. He was violating his parole, and he was given six months to 15 years that October. How many months or years do you think he served? Oh, God. Mm. Not enough. Not enough. Clearly. Three. Three <laughs> months. You got it. <gasps> well, three wow. years. Three years. Oh. You got the number right. Good answer. That's what I meant. It was years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, then the event that would be a bit more important than the others, he escalated. He was caught stealing a steak. He had shoved it down his pants and tried to walk out of the supermarket. I believe it was a Ralph's. Did you guys ever go to Ralph's? Yeah. 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 So Larry stabbed this employee that caught him stealing the steak. The guy had followed Larry out of the store and trying to stop him. Larry then turned around and from his pocket grabbed a knife and stabbed him. He thankfully lived. Larry was convicted of attempted murder and was sent to California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo. I wrote, like a ribbon bow. Aww. <laughs> then he met Roy Norris. So before we get into Roy Norris, though, Brenna, I yes. was wondering if you had anything you wanted to add about those um, psychiatric evaluations he got. So something that's kind of interesting that I wanted to bring up first is you brought up uh, paranoia. And uh, do you guys know about intrusive thoughts? Uh, I mean, I mean, I know, like, yeah, in a sense. Yeah, um, like, intrusive thoughts, for example, for those of you that aren't aware of them, are, like, when you're driving and you have that thought to, like, turn into oncoming traffic. Mm -hmm. Or, like, what if I did that? It's that kind of idea. Like, what Mm -hmm. if I jump, like, if you're standing in line, like, for our friends that live in major cities that have public transportation, it's, like, those thoughts that you go, like, what if I just jumped onto the train tracks right now? Mm. But you have the thing in your head that goes... Ah, silly. You're a silly lad. No way. Ah, being a silly, mm. just, you're good. Don't worry about it. Like, it's that kind of thing where you go, like, of course I wouldn't do that because consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, so with paranoia, it's a lot of those those thoughts that don't get checked. There's, like, not that wall there to go. You don't have that thing that, those, those like, gates that are, like, that's not true because A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, you, you don't justify those thoughts. You just go, like, well, yeah, of course I wouldn't do that because of all these other things. So, um, I looked up a couple different things on uh, psychopathy. Um, There's a couple different breeds of psychopaths. Um, There was a doctor of clinical psychology. uh, Her name's Perpetua. She wrote this whole thing about how there's seven different breeds of psychopaths. Ah. Um, So, Craig Newman, PhD, a psychopathy expert and psychology professor at the University of North Texas, says all psychopaths have four similarities. They're deceitful, manipulative, and or narcissistic. Mm. They're aggressive and may have a history of or tendency towards criminal behavior. They're callous, show no remorse, and derive pleasure from seeing others hurt. And they're impulsive, have little regard for the consequences of their actions, and may use illegal substances, which is just like a, it's like a Band-Aid. So the seven types of psychopaths you might encounter are uh, the soulmate. Um, It's a lot of con men that come in and try to come in and like... (sighs) Soulmate psychopaths, like, they charm you, and they, mm. they manipulate like their the, victims. like Dirty John. Yes, it's, that's exactly that. who gets brought up. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> Dirty John spent his entire life fooling women and, and running insurance scams and frauds. Oh. So, uh, wearing surgical scrubs everywhere, he claimed he was a surgeon when he'd actually been freshly released from prison. <gasps> mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, my God. Do you not know I don't Dirty know. John? I know of it, but I haven't, I haven't oh, listened to it. It's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen to the podcast before you watch the TV show that was made based on the podcast. Okay. 
Um, this reminds me a lot, a lot of uh, Terry Rasmussen because before long they isolate you from the people in your life. They test your boundaries by violating mm. small ones, calling mm-hmm. you sensitive or if you call them out. Before long they erode major boundaries and because you've once tasted uh, the fairy tale, you know it's not a fantasy. What's more is they convince you it's your fault and that the fairy tale has disappeared. Oh. So you've been over backwards taking more abuse. There's the leader. Uh, we've all met the person who is successful professionally and or socially who does this by bullying, pitting people against each other, manipulation. So there's that kind of thing. Mm. The recent study found that primary psychopaths are higher in quote-unquote fearless dominance, mm. uh, which is an egotistic personal style of self-promotion and prioritizing one's needs and had better work performance when they had sophisticated social skills. So it's like... I'm going to get to the top and fuck everyone else type thing. And I'm going to put people against each other and manipulate to get there. Um, And these people are that way in their families and relationships as well. It's not just at work. Uh, There's the bad boy, which is the easiest breed to spot. Um, After all, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, this archetype's typical traits are deceitfulness, impulsivity, and reckless regard for others' safety. Mm. It can be linked to antisocial personality disorder as well because Uh you're not having the regard for other people. Uh Um, Then there's paranoid psychopath, believes everyone's out to get them and blames the world for anything that goes wrong. Um, Unlike individuals with paranoid personality disorder or paranoid schizophrenia, the paranoid psychopath also has fantasies of making others pay. Ah. So paranoid schizophrenia is like an affect happening to them. Paranoid psychopath does things to other people. Oh. Yeah. So instead of being like, I'm hearing voices and I'm getting, I'm like, what was that? What's going on? Everyone's out to get me. It's everyone's out to get me and I'm going to get them first. Mm. So there's like malice involved there. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why substance abuse gets brought up is because it's used as an excuse instead of Mm. Oh, you know, they're acting like that because of, of the substance abuse. They rather say that than yeah. they have some a mental illness that needs to be mm-hmm. taken care of. Yeah, so oh. they'll say like, "Oh, it's because I was." It's it's sometimes in a um, it can bleed into addiction, right? Because they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, the, I, that wasn't me. I was on you know meth at the time," and you're like, "No, what?" <laughs> but you nah. still did the things. Like they like try to get out of doing it. Then there's the saint. Um, let me see. The saint kind of says, like, oh, it blames the other people by bring, pulling themselves upwards. So, like, I'm doing all these things. A lot of times psychopaths will do that in relationships where they're like, you're tearing us down and I'm the one that's bringing us back together. And, like, uh, like they're the victim. They try to play like they're a victim the whole time. Mm. Um, our, bla- our brains conflate religious figures, doctors, and mental health professionals with being giving, but a lot of times, if they are also a psychopath, they are in that profession. Like, they get to say, like, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a priest, I would never touch a little boy. Um, it's like that kind of thing, like, I'm a priest and I'm here to keep this neighborhood together, I'm not doing these terrible things, like, you yeah. can't blame me for that. It's like, nope, but yeah. you, you're doing it and you're... You're in a position of what's happening? <laughs> or like I actually doctors. just watched a, I think it was a Secrets of the Morgue episode where the priest actually murdered this guy, but like everyone's like, it couldn't have been the priest. The priest's like, it's not me, but he totally murdered this guy and was cheating on his wife with his wife. It was oh, crazy. that was also a Dateline episode recently. Well, hey. Yep, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, um, psychopaths like to work in the third sector. They can get away with a lot there. So that reminds mm. me a lot of like, uh, Ted Bundy working at, like, volunteering, oh, doing yeah. volunteer work and stuff. Like, they're just kind of putting themselves in a room with the most vulnerable people on purpose. And also, like, let's see, I'm a good person. I'm yeah. here to help. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, 
They're also known to fudge their qualifications when they learn how <gasps> to fake skills. Dead. Yeah, that's the same. Yeah. Uh, then there's the counterculturalist. We have two left. The counterculturalist um, is a person who lauds their morality. They champion justice, inclusiveness, and even feminism. And it's easy to be swept away in hoodwink because any creepy, irresponsible, or intrusive behavior can be justified as countercultural values or the person's apparent misery about the state of the world. Oh. So it's like the world is against me. The world is the one that doesn't have their shit together. I'm the one. It's not like the saint where they're putting themselves in a position of being like a doctor or a priest or something. It's people that just kind of are like, it's, that will always have something to say about how the universe is, is against them, but like mm. they're, so they're acting out kind of thing. Like the, the, the culture is what's wrong with this world. A lot of times people, racist people fall behind that one where they're like, things should be back the way they were in the fifties, meaning really painfully white and terrible for everyone that's not white or a woman, like yeah. that kind of thing. And then the last one is the contemptuous one. Um, Dr. Jonathan Marshall, PhD, says that some psychopaths use arrogance and, and contempt to make victims feel unworthy, which spurs them to bite the bait. He explained that when we have an evolutionary imperative to, quote-unquote, want to redeem our power when someone says we are less than them so we can be an equal. So it's like they knock you down so that you would, like, please them just to get on their same level again. Mm. And then they keep kind of using their status as, like, a way to control people, too. So, uh, what's the difference between arrogance and conviction? Um, Dr. Jonathan explains that conviction comes with the honesty of acknowledging possible downsides. For instance, a person may say they do not have all the answers, but they're confident in their spiritual beliefs. On the other hand, arrogance comes with contempt, where others are seen as stupid and inferior. Mm. So, that also kind of leads into, like, when we talked about family annihilators, mm -hmm. there's, like, the ones that believe that the, that the purity of the family has been, like destroyed and so they have to kill the whole family yeah so that's that kind of thing and the counterculture thing is the world is against us so i have to kill the whole family john list not liking Very where much. his family was going mm -hmm. and himself too but yeah Ooh. so those are uh psychopaths thank you for that brenna that's awesome that yeah. was great yeah i mean these these two uh definitely did some things to make others do what they wanted and let's get back into that so <laughs> roy norris he was born on february 2nd 1948 when he was 17 years old, he left high school and joined the high seas, the Navy. Mm. He was in San Diego for the majority of his time. In November 1969, he was arrested for attempted rape. He got out on bail before his trial, and during that momentary freedom, he was arrested again. He, like Bundy, attacked a woman in her home. He tried to attack and rape her, but she thankfully was able to get to the police and get help before he harmed her. He was discharged from the Navy due to psychological problems attacking ladies. Mm. Then, while still out on bail in May 1970, he attacked a female student while on campus at the San Diego State University. She had walked past him and he came up from behind her, hit her in the head with a rock. He proceeded to slam her multiple times <gasps> into the concrete. She survived the attack, which is incredible. However, despite how terrible the attack was, since she survived, Norris only got charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Right, it's the, mm -hmm. yeah, it's the Larry Singleton thing. Like, well, I just cut her arms off and threw her down a ditch, but she lived. Ugh, right? He was sent to the state hospital as a sex offender and only spent five years there. Uh. Then he was considered fine. No longer a threat. <laughs> Let's put him back out into the world. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, oh, 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 but uh, three months later, he attacked and now raped a 27-year-old woman. So he, in fact, escalated. He is convicted of what was called forcible rape in the article I read. Which, first of all, the, rape is force. Like, yeah. So what the fuck does forcible is, rape even mean? Right. 
Jesus. It's kind of rape. like how we said earlier a couple episodes, a few episodes ago, that there's no such thing as consensual sex. Exactly. Like, yeah. Either sex, sex or rape. Or rape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is that's, like that's sex. The you know, they the, needed to make their word count, okay? So I they guess. had it. <laughs> there. That's what it was. Ah. Uh, Stephen Kay was the prosecuting attorney for that case, and he actually comes back around. Mm. So now Roy is sent to the California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo. And not too long after that is when Larry arrives. Roy had said that Larry saved his life twice while they were in prison, and that's what bonded them together, part of a prisoner's code or whatever. Once these two met, they were inseparable. They were fast friends and found they had a lot of things in common. They shared common goals and interests. Together, they would talk and plan kidnappings and what they would do to the girls... I know. Jesus. And we're brothers. And we're brothers. Oh my goodness. Another inmate would kind of make the stories into like artwork or short stories and they'd share them with the inmates in the prison. It's kind of like their little book club or whatever. It makes me think of the San Francisco witch killers where it's Uh, like they just got high off each other's supply. mm -hmm. If they have a very similar form of uh, psychopathy and if they're so, if they're also the same form of paranoia Mm -hmm. and like justification and impulse control problems and all that kind of stuff like then yeah of course they're gonna be like two best friends two best friends (laughs) it's so bad so as time went on the plans got more serious even basically making blueprints for a future van murder mac they planned to kill at least one girl from ages 13 to 19 record what they did to each girl on tape and film All of this was what they referred to as for fun. (laughs) Just for fun. Yeah. Once it all starts actually getting set into motion, they would send Polaroids to that same inmate who was still in jail, giving him clues that it was really about to happen. They'd be like pictures of Roy pointing to something in a valley and like the inmate knew that it was part of the plan. Like, but if you just looked at the picture not knowing anything, you wouldn't know it was anything weird. But it was secret clues for this inmate to know. Because they actually talked about it so much. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But there are just a few more things before we get into all of that. So Larry was given another psych evaluation while in prison, and this time it came back that he was actually a classic sociopath. However, another psychiatrist would call him a sophisticated psychopath. None of that mattered, though. It was all disregarded, and he was released in November 1978 and made the big ol' move to L.A. Norris was not too far behind, for he was released in January 1979 and moved to L.A. as well to live with his mom, who also he began an incestuous relationship with. Summer (laughs) in love, baby. Then Bittaker contacted Norris. The time had come for them to make all their sick dreams come true. They were finally both out of prison. Cindy Schaefer, Andrea Hall, Jackie Gilliam, Leah Lamp, Shirley Sanders, Shirley Lynette Ledford. These are the young women who fell victim to the Tootlox killers, and only one of them survived to tell their story. Ladies and beans, grab your warm, delicious cups of coffee because here come the murders. Mine's iced coffee. Am I still gonna be like, am I gonna be okay? No. (laughs) I'm the only one with the warm coffee today. Because I knew. You guys didn't know. It's not your fault. Uh. <laughs> Is that why you ordered a hot coffee? It's true. <laughs> I was the coffee witch today and I tricked you all. No, yeah. I know. You're like, all right, you're going to need some comfort for you're this. You need comfort. Oh, cold drinks? That's fine. <laughs> okay. So, these can be hard to listen to. I watched the documentary and it was awful. So, if you need to skip ahead today and go straight to the arrest and convictions, we, as always, completely understand. 
listen to where you are today. We are grateful to have you here with us sharing your coffee or tea or whatever your beverage of choice is. Okay, here we go. Before they attempted anything, the van was completed. I want to talk about this van for a moment so you understand the amount of prep they did and how they were able to get away with these kidnappings turned murders. The van was a 1977 GMC cargo van, silver. No side windows, and it had a large sliding passenger door, literally giving them the ability to simply open the sliding door and grab any girl who was close enough. Inside, there was a bed mounted on a frame so a body could hide under or be hidden underneath it. They also made it soundproof, or at least sound blocking, and they had a special spot where they kept the toolbox, which contained normal everyday tools, uh, they also kept wire hangers and duct tape in the van. Murder Mac was literally a torture chamber on wheels. They also mapped out the place they were driving their victims to, a remote fire road in the San Gabriel Mountains. There was a padlock on the gate, and Bitteker just smashed it with a crowbar and destroyed the lock. Norris actually snapped a photo of that moment, and you can see it in the documentary. Now that all their prep work was done, it was time to find their first victim. They went around to various places, beaches mostly, and they would snap photos of girls they liked. They would spot a young girl in a bikini or short shorts or walking or rollerblading or whatever it was. They'd take a picture of them, looking for their line of contestants. June 24th, 1979. It started out like any other day for Cindy Schaefer. She was 16 years old and was walking back from her grandmother's. She had left a Christian youth meeting at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. As she was walking, they pulled up in the van and asked her if she wanted some grass or if she needed a ride. She declined and kept walking. They pulled up ahead and Norris got out. He met her on the sidewalk and offered again. She said no and began to walk past him. He grabbed her at that moment and threw her into the van. To muffle the cries while the door was closing, Bitteker turned up the radio and they drove off. After a small fight, he duct taped her mouth shut and bound her legs and arms. They drove up to their choice spot in the secluded mountains and both of them took turns raping her, twice each. After realizing that they had had her for so long and that she would be able to identify them, they decided the only thing they could do was kill her. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. At first, Roy tried to strangle her, but he couldn't do it and even stepped away to throw up. Bitteker took a straightened wire hanger and put it around her neck and twisted it tighter using a vice grip pliers. He strangled her to death and then the men wrapped her in a shower curtain and dumped her off the ravine. Her body was not found for about 37 years. Whoa, that's a long time. Yeah. And truthfully, I don't I didn't, couldn't find an article of her actually getting discovered, so but it was in the documentary, so I'm hoping that she did. Anyway, I'll get back into that at the end. Um, after two weeks, only two weeks later, on July 8th, they met a hitchhiker. Andrea Hall was 18 years old. She was used to catching rides with strangers and thought nothing of it. She was pretty close to her boyfriend's house by the time they got her. She had been picked up by a car beforehand, and they followed that car, waiting for them to take her as far as they could go before she got out and then started hitchhiking again. Roy hid in the back under the bed while Larry asked her if she needed a ride. She got into the van willingly, having no clue it was waiting for her on the inside. Larry told her there was a cooler in the back, and if she would like a drink, she'd go ahead and get one. So she went to go get a drink, and as she did, Roy jumped out and duct taped her mouth, her arms, and her legs. They took her to the same fire road and raped her several times. They had already escalated, even more so for when Roy left to go grab a beer, Larry dragged her out of the van and wanted to test something that he had seen in a movie. He stabbed her in the ear with an ice pick. It didn't kill her though, so he strangled her to death and then like Cindy, he threw her off the ravine. 
He took Polaroids of her before he killed her, which he did with all of the girls, and her body was also not found for possibly 37 years. Her sister, Julie LaFay, speaks on the documentary. She talks about what it was like for her and her family and how they never gave up hope in finding her body. There was even another one of her sisters whose son died from drowning, and their mother, heartbroken, said to comfort her daughter, at least you have his body. That was said to comfort her daughter because that's the only thing she never got that with her daughter. Like, how awful. Like, that's something you think is comforting because you haven't had your child's body found. So, so far, only the one guy has killed both women. Yeah, because the other guy started threw to, up, but couldn't and threw up. They and both the, raped. Yes. But only the one guy's done the... Killing so far. Torture killings, yeah. Yeah, okay. Larry's the one torturing. Okay, so yeah. Larry's the one that's, that's doing the killing that's been in and out of prison a whole bunch oh, of yeah. times. Oh, yeah, he's okay. a sadist. He's a sadist. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, he's the sadist. The other one is the sexual offender and... Gotcha. ...rapist. Uh, Jackie Gilliam and Leah Lamp were two new friends that loved venturing to the beach. Jackie was 15 and Leah was 13. They were waiting for the bus to the beach, and Bitteker actually said they were close enough to walk to the beach from where they were, so he didn't understand why they were even there in the first place. But they were, and they took the opportunity to grab them. They pulled up in the van and offered them a ride, and the girls accepted. They got in, and at first everything was fine, but then it changed. Roy knocked out Leah with a sap, which is like that small bag, and it was filled with BBs. It was this really, like, small but heavy, hard little ball, and he, like, whacked her in the head with it and knocked her out. And then he tried to tie up Jackie. While he was tying up Jackie, Leah manages to wake up and tries to get out of the van. Literally, she opens up the van and starts screaming. And they had parked in this parking lot by a tennis court, and there were people playing tennis that saw what was happening. Bitterker gets out of the van knocks Leah out and she falls back into the van. He turns to the tennis players and says, she's having a bad LSD trip. I'm just taking her home and drives off. Uh, one time I have a friend that got uh, roofied. She got roofied at mm. one nightclub here in town. And I got a phone call at two in the morning when it, when she, she, the first thing she said to me was people are talking to me and I can't understand what they're saying. Something's wrong. She only had one glass of champagne the entire night. Mm -hmm. So I got in my car. I picked up a friend. We went and got her. Um, and then that friend, that mutual friend of ours, he like we were both in pajamas. So that mutual friend of ours is, I was driving, I was getting to her car. They were going to my car so we could kind of meet in the middle. And he has her and she's like, she was not, she was tough to carry. She was falling over, all this other stuff. He was just getting her to the car and a security guard drove up and uh, was like, hey, is everything okay? And like, clearly like this man's like. Oh, it looks really bad. Yeah. <laughs> My friend just said, she's drunk and I'm taking her home. And the security guard left. Oh, oh he didn't like question. Nope. Oh my god. And like thank god it's it was somebody that was good for my friend, but like they never they that could have just been a person taking my friend away. Oh, right. But it was just a, a mutual friend. But yeah, he literally and and he felt gross after that. He was like he was like I know I'm just taking her to her to the car to like yeah. be there so that she can like lay down while you get her car. He goes, "But I felt so shitty. How many times has that happened and it's not a friend of theirs?" Yeah. Or it is a friend of theirs, but that friend has like terrible yeah, so, Jeez. oh yeah, uh, sometimes we just don't listen to red flags. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the tennis players didn't call the police or anything, they just kind of stared, and then they left, they mm -hmm. drove off, and that was it. And they took them to the fire road, and this time they kept the girls for two days, raping them, torturing them with pliers and wire hangers, and taking Polaroids of them. 
Bideker would basically direct them in these things. He'd tell them to smile and look happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would do these things to them to get them to scream or tell them just scream. If they didn't scream, he'd hit them with something because he liked to hear that. And when he found out that Jackie was a virgin, he wanted to audio record the rape. Um, after two days of torture, it was getting close for when Bideker had to go to work. So they had to start moving things along. So he repeated what he tried with Andrea, and he stabs Jackie in the ear with an ice pick. And yet again, it doesn't kill her. And he and Roy take turns now, strangling her to death. Then Larry strangles Leah as Roy hits her seven times with a sledgehammer on her head. They dumped the bodies off the side of the ravine, and later when the bodies were found, only skeletons, even though it had only been a few months since their murders, the ice pick was still in Jackie's head. (gasps) Yep. It had gone through both ears, I think. Leah's mother told Stephen, the prosecuting attorney, after everything came to light, that she took on two eight-hour shift jobs, one in the morning and one at night, because she couldn't sleep. Every time she closed her eyes, she would see her daughter getting murdered. Uh, They had a close call on September 30th. Shirley Sanders was kidnapped and maced. They raped her, but she managed to escape. However, when she tried to report the crime, because they maced her, she was unable to identify the attackers (gasps) or the license plate. Their final victim was taken on Halloween. Shirley Lynette Ledford was 16 years old. At this point, they felt pretty invincible. Nothing had happened to them. Even the girl who got away wasn't able to identify them. They felt safe, brave, so they ventured away from their normal routine. They kidnapped Lynette simply because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. They raped and tortured her while they were in the L.A. area. They didn't even go up to the mountains. They had a knife out at one point, and she grabbed it, and it cut her hand real bad. They used pliers to hit her elbows with sledgehammers because she wasn't screaming for them, and they wanted her to scream, so they kept hitting her. And they recorded this torture, and all while they were recording it, you could hear them telling her to scream because she wasn't screaming enough. Um, They used different ways of torture to get her to sound the way they wanted. Bideker wrapped a wire hanger around her neck at the end and tightened it so tight that it was the size of a silver dollar. (gasps) Yep. They threw her body on a random yard, seeing what kind of reaction they would get from the newspaper. The woman who found the body thought it was a mannequin, a Halloween prank. The Lynette recording is infamous because when everything started to fall apart for these monsters and things started to come to light, it was the only tape that Bideker missed when he did a sweep and cleaned out the van. It's talked about in the documentary and it was never released to the public because it's so horrific. It was played for the jury at the trial, and it was so incredibly awful that people left the courtroom before it was over in tears. Stephen said that he had nightmares about it. He would have dreams where he was trying to save her, but just not make it. He also mentioned that when he did the Manson case, he did not need antidepressants, but after he did the Toolbox Killers case, he did. So, how did they get caught? These incredibly awful monsters who seemed to be perfectly matched? Well... Roy had been telling an old prison friend, Jimmy Delton, about the murders. And Jimmy ended up going to the police about it. This man is also a sex offender. And even this he thought was too terrible. So he went to the police. These monsters were sadists, especially Larry. The police don't have anything on them at first. But after this news comes out, Paul Bynum, a Hermosa Beach detective, heading the Ledford case, comes up with a plan. They start to use surveillance on Norris, following him around. One day, Roy leaves this bag in his car in the front seat open. So the officers just kind of peek in. They don't open the door or anything. They just look in the window. And it's full of marijuana, which is illegal at the time. They arrest him and get a search warrant for his place. 
They find pictures and all kinds of things in his place. Then the phone rings and it's Larry. The police answer it and say, oh yeah, Roy's just uh, checking his antenna. That's all. But Larry is the true brains of this duo and he knows something's up. That's what prompts him to sweep and clean the van. Norris gets arrested and strikes a deal and tells them that Larry's also involved. During the trial, it's a lot of, Norris did it. No, Bitteker did it. No, Norris did it. Full blame game. He did it. No, I did. Some best friends they were. I know. <laughs> so Norris, as part of his deal to avoid the death penalty, guides them to the bodies. They only find Leah Lamp and Jackie Gilliam. Norris does get sentenced to 45 years to life with 30 years minimum before he's eligible for parole, which would have been 2010. He did not get paroled, though. I know. As far as Larry goes, the death penalty was still on the table. And after the trial where he tried to make it seem like he paid the girls to do those things, it was all consensual. It was pillow talk. Yeah. Okay. Screaming and begging for their lives was pillow talk. Yeah. His pillow talk. Exactly. His version of it. Larry was sentenced to death on March 24th, 1981. The jury took less than two and a half days to deliberate and they unanimously said, give him the gas chamber. None of that happened, however. He sat on death row until he died of many types of cancer on December 13th, 2019. Uh-huh. Which was a Friday, I believe. Uh, and Roy Norris followed suit on February 24th, 2020. Some people called them soulmates, like I said. An old married couple. Even though they played the blame game during trial, they had this weird fucked up connection and even seemed to follow them to the very, very end. And when Larry was asked later about why he took pictures and recordings by Laura Brand, who is a criminologist who met with him and um, got to know him over a long period of time, and she's the one who speaks mostly in the documentary, he said, My purpose was, again, I wanted to take a series of photographs of a friendly girlfriend-boyfriend seduction and sex, and might as well add some sound effects, too. Much of it was unprepared, was unplanned, spur-of-the-moment ideas that come up and I'd go do it. Yeah. In the documentary, Mary Ellen O'Toole, who is a retired FBI BAU agent, says that this kind of talk is all just because he's trying to take away the criminality of it, Mm -hmm. trying to make it Mm -hmm. less than it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In the end, it is said that they both were antisocial personalities. Terribly perfect match. Mm -hmm. And that, my ladies and beans, is the Toolbox Killers. Any final sips? so bummed out. I know. That's what we do. Like, That's our job. Like, <laughs> like, I know, like literally before we recorded, you were like, mine's a real bummer. I didn't believe you. <laughs> I think my final sip is just like, can we not just, can we just stop like beating up ladies? Can yeah. we just make it stop? Can we just be better? Can we teach each other to be better? Can we just let people walk home or get a ride or live their lives and just Fucking leave them alone. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This one, wow. There's some scary people out there. Yeah, man. Yeah. I listen to a lot of true crime, and this one messed me up. Oh. Yep. Aw. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. Cool. This is that van. Gonna have nightmares about that van. That's what it is. <laughs> That's the scary van that your parents are like, don't get into a van with strangers. Yeah. This is that van, man. Oh, yeah. Don't don't get into a van with a, with a stranger. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um. Ah, my final sip is, let's... Uh, take a moment to give credit to the people that have to watch, listen to, investigate all of the, whether it's recordings of crimes or, you know, the pictures or going onto those websites that were, have recently started to get rated about, like, 
video of children getting raped and stuff, and there's always the investigator that has to, someone has to watch it Mm -hmm. to report on it. Mm -hmm. Same with the people that are on Facebook and YouTube and any video, Instagram, all that stuff that have to watch for those things to delete Mm -hmm. them and report them. Because, y'all, people record murders and sexual assaults on TikTok every motherfucking day. Yeah. There's someone whose job it is to watch it, report it, and send it in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's just give those people just a moment of fucking thank you for taking that job. Yeah. Um, I've heard that there's a high turnover rate in your field of work, which I completely understand why. And thank you for doing uh, for having the wherewithal, and I hope that there are systems in place that uh, help you every single moment of every day. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. That's a good sip. Because I didn't even sip. think about it from that angle. But yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Motherfuckers' jobs is to watch people get murdered just so that they can be like, yep, somebody got murdered in that video. Like, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the tape that they had, there's a transcript of it, so someone wrote out the transcript mm-hmm. for it, which is awful. There was one article that I came across that started to have it in there, and I skipped. I was like, I don't need to. I don't need to read this. I don't need to read it at all. Um, but yeah, my final sip is I wanted to share two quotes from Laura Brand. If anyone deserves a death penalty, it was Lawrence Bittaker. I'm glad that he was kept alive, though, because we've learned so much, I believe, about psychopathy from him as well as sadism from him. Another one. A lot of people believe he doesn't deserve kindness. He doesn't deserve empathy from anybody, you know? And that's fine. People have the right to their perception. I just know that I'm going to live my life with empathy and compassion for everyone, and I'm going to have no regrets at the end of my life. Um, so when Larry was at the end of his life, he seemed to start, um, understanding more about what he had done. His body was failing him. He kept having heart attacks. Uh, he would be on the phone with Laura and he would cry. And these are all prison recordings because he'd call her from prison. And, uh, in their last interview, oh, she went to him and saw him. He gave her the locations of the two girls that were never found. He drew a map and I tried, this is the thing, I tried to look up more and I haven't found any articles about them actually getting found. I really hope they did um, because that would be closure for those families and another sense of peace. But even though he was sentenced to death, he was kept alive until he died on his own, which sometimes happens. And because he was able to do that, he gave more information at the end. I don't know if Ted would have actually done that, but I like to think that he would have and those families could have had that peace. But here's an example of someone who was sadist, complete psychopath, did not even realize anything he was doing was wrong, and at the end of his life did give more information. Mm. Uh, Also, fun fact, these tapes were something that Scott Glenn would listen to when he was studying John Douglas for his role in The Silence of the Lambs, and the toolbox killers were on Criminal Minds. They were mentioned as examples throughout the show, and it is believed that the character Lee Mullins in season six, Remembrance of Things Past, was inspired by Norris. And the outlaw bikers in season eight, uh, outlaw, uh, have a very similar meeting story. So please, uh, if you have a chance, go check out the documentary. Um, I watched it on Hulu. It's also on Peacock, um, and it's called The Toolbox Killers. Uh, it was very good. My dad was like, there's a documentary if you want to watch it. It's kind of messed up, though. And boy, was my dad right. It <laughs> is messed up. It's really weird to see Larry old, like, and talking, because they show real footage and stuff of him and Laura. And some of it's, like... Um, you know, reenacted depending on like what's going on in the scene. But uh, a lot of it is actual footage. And they'll tell you too, like when they show pictures, it'll say like recovered evidence. So if it's something that's real, they'll, they'll tell you about it. It's pretty, pretty fascinating and awful and just awful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the toolbox killers, friends. Mm-hmm. It almost makes you wonder like how much of it that, because 
this presents itself a lot in the conversation with like, they didn't even know what they were doing is wrong. I believe that there is a level, especially of psychopathy, where you absolutely know it's wrong. You just don't care. I, yeah, that's it. That's where psychopath, like that's the sociopath, that's where that blurred line comes in from being a sociopath and having psychopathy is like mm-hmm. sociopaths don't connect. It's that antisocial personality disorder type thing where it's mm-hmm. like they don't have the, they don't have the connect with other people. And the psychopathy is like the actions of which you do with not connecting with people. Yeah. So I feel like at the end of the day, we can say that these guys, there is a, there is a, Varying levels of degrees of, like, not having control over yourself and being a victim to your mental uh, affectations and also knowing and going, ah, but I don't really give a shit. Like, you clearly value certain lives over others. Yeah. Right? So they're willing to respect men and not take little boys Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff, but women... All bets are off. These poor young girls. Yeah. It's just awful. And, like, Larry would talk about a lot how, even in the trial and stuff, how none of it was planned. You made a van. van. Yeah, you I was going to You say. made a torture van. Yeah. What do you mean a murder van? a bit of premeditation. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. You should have named the van premeditation. Well, it's Pre- like Ted Bundy talking in third person. It's <laughs> yeah. not me if it's I'm talking about somebody else doing it. Yeah. Or it's not. If I didn't premeditate it, then it's just reactionary. It's like, yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah. How much did that van cost? <laughs> uh, there's clips of him talking at trial and just, like, how he's trying to justify, like, oh, I, you know, I gave him, like, $200 to pose for these nude photos. Like, this talking you know, nonchalant. And, you're like, aware that you made crimes happen and that you did something awful. You just don't give a shit. He's which so, is part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, and he thinks he's so smart because his IQ is so high. It played the opposite for him because mm-hmm. he, in his mind, was like, oh, I'll just tell them this story and then I'll get off because, like, they won't, they won't think I did anything. No. Was he told no. he was very smart all the time? Because sometimes that can give people an ego. Maybe. You know. Everyone oh, was very aware idiots, of how much his IQ was. These idiots, I'll, I'll convince them with this stuff. It's like, well, I'll say, all right, die of cancer. Bye. Like, <laughs> uh, Yeah, so many different versions. Die of cancer in prison. Blair. So many different types of cancer took over. Real smart, yeah. Yeah, and just heart attacks all the time. Anyways. Thanks for joining us on Morning Have a murder you like to talk about over coffee? We would love to hear about it. Email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. In today's show notes, you can find our cited research as well as a few of our favorite mental health resources. Psychopath and psychopathy. What are you barking at? Is it psychopathy or psychopathy? I'm going to say psychopath. That's a holy. It's all <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Excuse me. All right, Excuse reveal. Okay. It's a rumor. <laughs> I thought it was shorts. I did too. I loved it as shorts. I'm obsessed with it as a rumor. Where the Guys, actual Guys, I wish this was a, we were on YouTube. <laughs> this fucking. That was a reveal. Thank you. If you don't take a picture and put it on our Instagram. <laughs> There's trap. You knew. You knew. You had this whole thing planned. You knew. This cute big old green sweater and these shorts. And just to be like, ha ha, bitches. Yeah, she's like, no, I'm just all cute and comfy. Yeah, this was, I was with Abby one day and she was like, she bought Mm. a full 
Mm. leopard print bodysuit oh. that's like flared on the side and stuff yes. and then i saw this one and i was like i guess we're just leopard print friends yes yes you guys. are you guys all have leopard print things i don't have any leopard print things. <gasps> you gotta, gotta go secondhand shopping baby this was like this was like eight dollars at alt rebel i think when uh-huh. you get pinup bangs you're you open your closet and things have just turned into <laughs> yes it just comes with it naturally it like uh, why do i have so many polka dots and cheetah print Oh, because oh. I have Betty Page bangs. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. They just go hand in hand. Makes sense. Yeah, okay. I get it. Okay. My shit's okay. on silent. Shit's yeah, I was silent. like, do not, do not disturb on my multiple cell phones. <laughs> yes, and then I'll just get a minute of room tone so that I have Minute all. of room I have to shut up. Yeah. I, I can't breathe when you do room tone. I'm always like, walk it in my face. I brought in a room tone. Room tone, yeah. All right, all right, all right. Are you guys ready for room I can't tone? look at you. Knees. Knees? Head and shoulders. Knees and toes. Knees. And toes. <laughs> all of them. Head, shoulders, Each knees, and, and every one of them. Uh, I have all of those things. Do you? That's good. I, t- I do. have bones. I have bones. You have today's bones. But we don't know if it's a bones day, oh, but it's well, just been a bones day regardless, so... Mm. I don't need Noodle to tell me that it's been a Bones Day. <laughs> it has oh, been a it's Bones. been a Bones Day. Mm-hmm. It's been a Bones Day. Girl, you ever had a day, but also with Bones? Bones Day. Yeah. Bones Day. Mm-hmm. If you're That's lucky. The... <laughs> Extra special Bones Day. You get that. Extra special bone. A. A. I might put it on there, but then beep it out. Beep. Sometimes I beep, 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 beep. Don't put it on the bloopers. <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> beep. Just like a long one. No, it's going to sound like I do weird shit. Sometimes That's I... That's the point. <laughs> no. It's all it is posting no. stuff. Uh, Amanda's actually a secret assassin, and she sometimes posts I'm Not a secret anymore. Oh, oh, God, I'm fuck. so sorry. Mm-hmm. What are you right, doing well, with that star? Get... No. Oh, shit, they're here. <laughs> yeah. They're not gonna come after me, they're not gonna come after you. Knock knock. Distraction. Who's there? A KGB. Oh, <laughs> uh, bye! Gosh, you guys made good time. Are you vaccinated? Yeah. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go now. K- to KGB. Go. Excuse me, KGB, are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Yeah. That's a, are you vaxxed and waxed and relaxed? <laughs> come on, KGB. Come on, KGB. Alright, let's do this. Oh dear. Amanda. 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 That's me. Amanda. Amanda. Albertsons bought it out because they like made it a wedding and it was like Ralph is getting married to Albertsons and taking Albertsons last name. There's also <laughs> oh, cute. There's also like Lucky's here in town, oh, yeah. which I think also got bought by the Ralph slash Albertsons Empire. Oh yes. <laughs> well, in the Midwest, all the Albertsons are it's a 
Because they have Jewel Osco. Yes. And we yeah. have Bonds and Albertsons on the West Coast. Yeah. But it's all the same. Like, the commercials are exactly the same, but they'll just <laughs> change the name. It's the freakiest thing. That's oh. So anyway. Anyway. So Larry, Something that actually <laughs> pertains to this. Continue. I'm so sorry. Abysmal. Ab oh, I totally looked this up, too. Oh, I have Abysmal. it written out. Oh, my God. I have it written out in my notes. There it's you go. <laughs> in St. Louis Abysmal. Is it St. Louis or San Louis? San Louis Abyss. <laughs> God damn it.